Oh, snap! The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, the CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble for Pete's sakes. Get them off the kibble, right, Dr. Jason? Oh, yeah. For Pete's sake and Joe's sake and Bob's sake and everybody's sake. <laughs> right? Don't and kitties too. And kitties too. Don't feed kibble. Well, you know what they're trying to do, Dr. Jasek, is they're trying. Uh, they've already come for us. They've come for our kids. Now they're going for our dogs, right? This uh, this CNN article that uh, you sent me, which was very disturbing. Yeah. CNN, um, uh, who trusts CNN anyway? But okay, let's just, it was put out by, by Fox News when they were talking about the CNN claims that pets have a big climate impact. Oh no. But they are now advising pet parents to buy smaller breeds and not only do that, Dr. Jasek, we're going to have to feed them insects too. Yeah, I know. I mean, I read that article. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like you just, you just can't believe the, the, the propaganda. And I, you know, I read that. I'm like, so what's the like real agenda here? Like, why don't they want people to have big dogs anymore? Like, is that the same reason they don't want people to have guns or, you know, like, I don't think that whoever's putting this stuff out gives a hoot about pet health or planetary health or or our health or anything. You know, there's some agenda behind it. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but that's where when I see stuff like this that just is so ridiculous, like, okay, there's there's some agenda behind that. And, you know, yeah, why and why are what's what's the push, you know, for crickets? Like they're putting cricket flour in a lot of um, processed foods for people now they're they're finding it so now we gotta you know feed it to our dogs and they're probably going to be you know rolling it in wheat so that they get you know their their grains in so that their hearts stay healthy too <laughs> well here here's what i think the agenda is i mean obviously in this article and what cnn said was it suggested that pet owners reassess their pet's diet. And you need to start feeding what? Lab-grown meat and insect-based pet foods. Lab-grown meats. Now, we talked about this in a prior podcast, um, how these lab-grown meats are are very toxic, a lot of glyphosate. It doesn't help with the carbon footprint. Um, This is a narrative, but you've got to shoot the narrative out there that says this is going to save humanity. If, you know, it's like you're going to kill grandma if you go and hug her during the last two years. Now we know that that was just a bunch of bunk. And I seriously, I don't care what side of the fence you're on. You really do need to see the documentary, the new movie on Dr. Anthony Fauci. The book is very detailed. It's very long, Mm -hmm. but you will see not only that, but just the history of how medicine has got so convoluted and how people are able to get away with these narratives and these lies that are detrimental to our health, our children's health, and to our pet's health. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, it truly is. I mean, that's, I mean, I read that book and it is detailed. The movie um, definitely is, you know, if you want a more concise version, but I, I, you know, the movie's the way to go, but I, I think the movie was really, really well done. I haven't seen part two yet. I did, I watched part one, but um, that, that I thought the movie was, was really well done and really does a good job of getting the information across and then if you're interested and you want to do a really deep dive uh, read the book but the book is you know books intense there's a lot of information in there well I had people texting me saying I had to stop 
uh, 15 minutes into the movie because it just disturbed me so much. And I said, well, you need to keep on. Yeah. Keep going. You need to keep going. And, you know, it was talking about these medications that were supposedly going to help these folks that had, you know, AIDS. Mm-hmm. And I knew people back in the day that were taking AZT, which poisoned these people. And um, that Fauci put out there. And I don't know if they're still alive today. It would be interesting, you know, to know. Um, very sad, very sad. And, and I guess the biggest question that we have as a human race, or we should have, is how do these people continue to stay in power? And the the second question that I have is how are our dogs and our cats implicated in this entire mess? Right? What are we doing and, and what is being done that is causing issues. I was listening to a podcast, not a podcast, but um, it was a thought leaders um, uh, show with Dr. Paul Merrick was on there. And he was talking Mm -hmm. about this um, when these sheep had the blue tongue, uh, blue tongue disease, these sheep. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about really vaccines. And he was saying, there's been one one, one, one study done with a true placebo um, in, in, on vaccines, um, a blind study. And he said it was on these, uh, sheep cause they had this blue tongue disease, mm. but what they found was that this aluminum in the vaccines, the aluminum was that which caused these sheeps to these sheep to die. They, they became very antisocial, um, they almost, they had these uh, brain problems and then they died. And he said, that is directly related to the aluminum. And then I started looking at what vaccines have aluminum in them. Right. And, 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 and the fact that none of these have had any real safety studies done on them. It's, 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 yeah. it's maddening. It's maddening to me. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, and the, you know, and the, and the human side, you know, that children now, what was the latest I heard? It's get 78 vaccinations um, by the time they're like five or something before they hit school age. It's just crazy. And none of them have been actually safety tested. Like there's never like a true study, like a true double blind, you know, placebo study, a true research study for safety on on any of them. And I'm sh- if they're not doing that for, for human children, I'm sure they're not doing it for pets because it's all the same industry. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very, it's very frightening and they put information out right all the time that just causes people to do these knee jerk reactions without doing any type of research whatsoever. And look how long it's been, Dr. J. Now, how many people really do research on vaccines? How many people? And in this talk, he was talking about um, the only one that he had seen throughout his career that he felt like had some advantageous um, results was the smallpox. He said, but when you look at measles, mumps, rubella, um, all of the, he said, all these other were on their way down, right? They were just all on their way down before these vaccines came in. Um, yeah. Well, there's a natural, you know, there's a natural bell curve to, in to infections. You know, it comes in, ga- you know, gains a foothold. You know, affects susceptible individuals, and then it goes away. It's the same with polio. You know, polio was on the way out when the when the vaccine, you know, came in. But the vaccine is credited for, you know, stopping polio. Now there's also, you know, new controversy that was there even a polio virus or was it DDT poisoning? You know, that's another, another topic, but either way, you know, the vaccines are credited from doing all this good when the condition, regardless of the cause was actually on the way out when the vaccines were implicated. And then you have decades and decades and decades of side effects from the vaccines because, oh, well, look, the vaccine, you know, got rid of these horrible diseases. And now, you know, people and animals both are going to be sick and suffering side effects from these vaccines for years and years and years because they're believed to be, you know, the the almighty savior and, you know, protecting against all these diseases. And I, I think they just make everything worse. 
Well, one of the things that was brought up that made me think about our pets was this. He said, we like what you were talking about, the, the, the vaccine that we have right now on the human side uh, for the last two years, we're, we're vaccinating for something that isn't even here anymore, right? It's changed. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is not the same. So we are vaccinating for something that doesn't exist. And my question is, are we doing the same thing for rabies? Right. Are we vaccinating for something that doesn't even exist? And you can say, well, you know, the old adage, uh, that's why it doesn't exist because yeah. we keep vaccinating. That's what, but they, is that, that's what they'll say. Yeah. Right. That's what they say. So um, that's, that's a, that's a huge, huge question. Um, and I hope that, that, as we learn more and we will, and we are because more and more people that were afraid of speaking out um, are speaking out and showing results. And like he said, experience, and you say this all the time, experience doesn't lie. The labs don't lie. (laughs) You know, the information that they're seeing, uh, it it doesn't, how do you, how do you argue with that? Yes. And, and and same thing that we see in in the in the pet world, right? You can't argue with experience, right? Right. And you know this whole this whole premise too about well, we stop vaccinating, the disease is going to come back. Well, where is it coming from? It's just out there, just like waiting to attack some pet like rabies, like you mentioned. Like there's rabies viruses out there just waiting to attack you know, some, some pet that hasn't had a vaccine, like really, like it, I don't think these, that these viruses, if there is even a virus called rabies, which has also come into question that they're just out there lurking, waiting to um, attack your pets. You know, I mean, my dog probably got a rabies shot before I got him because he came from a rescue and he was like a year old. I've never given him a, sh- a shot well, for anything, actually, <laughs> the rest of his life. That's been 15 years. And, uh, you know, he's doing okay for a 16-year-old. You know, I, I certainly haven't seen, you know, and, 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 and we have many, many clients more and more just choosing not to vaccinate because they've had experiences with pets getting sick after vaccines. And I don't see these dogs getting sick. I see them healthier than the dogs that get, you know, all the vaccines, you know, per the, you know, corporate medicine protocols, you know, these are the pets that are really sick and really messed up and really, really hard uh, to get, to get well. The, The pets that are not vaccinated are healthier and, you know, it's the same parallel in, in people, um, I, I like to listen to Larry Polevsky, who's a, 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 a pediatrician. And um, he's just very, um, I don't know, just like his uh, approach. He's just sort of no nonsense, calls it like he sees it. And, and I think he makes a lot of sense, but he works with, you know, mostly unvaccinated kids in his practice. But he said they've, they've lowered the standards in childhood development to normalize this slow development in kids that have been vaccinated. And he said, when you see an unvaccinated kid, he said they progress so much more quickly in life. And I, I see the same things in animals. I see animals that have had fewer vaccines, way healthier, better behaved. I think these vaccines mess, mess with, you know, pets' minds, especially rabies. Um, I've really seen some behavioral changes after the rabies and rabies vaccine and dramatic, like phobias, you know, dogs are afraid of things or, you know, a puppy all of a sudden is very timid and, or more aggressive. And these things get normalized in the profession instead of looking at what went on and what maybe caused this change. It's just like, well, you know, it's their hormones are kicking in at that age and they get their rabies shot. So, you know, that's kind of normal behavioral changes. But when you you know, compare that to a population that hasn't had all these shots. It's, it's a, it's a big difference. Absolutely. It is. And I, I, I see it too. And yet um, they have to 
blame it on something else, right? They had, they cannot go down that path. If you look at what's happening on the human side, even though we have seen these incredible blood clots, we've seen myocarditis, we've seen, um, we've seen strokes, we've seen so many different things. There is a, a denial, a, 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 a refusal to take a look at what might be causing this. We see it on the dog side. It's grains. It's no grains. It's raw food. I can't tell you how many times we'll get that. Well, I think that my dog got a bad batch. Why do you think that? Well, my vet said it. Well, why did your vet say it? Well, I don't know. They just said it. Well, does that make it true? I mean, we have to have some type of correlation. Did you uh, do a fecal? Did you do blood work? Uh, Your analysis, you and I were talking about this before the before the podcast and you said look here are the things that i would be looking at you know if if i was going if you were going to make that statement dr jasek you would have to make that statement based on something other than just you know something coming out your sphincter <laughs> just because it's the popular propaganda you know it's it's just an it's an easy thing to blame because mm-hmm. i think I, I think across the board, medical professionals are, have just gotten lazy and they have given up on the idea of critically thinking and, you know, looking at the situation and putting together what might be going on. And that's what I do. But I, you know, if I see a new client and their pet has, you know, a, a long history of illnesses and different things, I mean, I, I need a whole hour with that person. Now, in any vet that's, you know, has to have people in and out of their exam room in 10 minutes because they have to meet their, their quota for how many patients they see in a day, they, are, they aren't going to be investigating that. They need to just find the quickest thing that they can say, make a, you know, make some diagnosis, name it. It's like, you know, we were talking about this, you know, software out there. They can, you know, put in some diagnosis and then come up with some treatment plan based on this computer program in a matter of seconds. And then they're done. They move on to their next their next patient. They're not even thinking. They're not looking at the whole patient. And, and I can't believe that people just take this stuff, take, you know, as, you know, gospel or as the truth without questioning it. You know, if you've been feeding raw, your dog's been doing well, everything's great. And then all of a sudden your dog gets sick and your vet says, well, it's the raw food. I'd be saying, well, what are you basing that on? I mean, just ask that question. People don't even want a question. They just want, you know, it's this instant gratification. They just want a quick answer. Okay, vet gave me this answer. This is what's making my dog sick. And then they'll treat it. But then I would question, you know, so say, and I don't even know what the presumption is. What's a, what's a bad batch of food? Well, what does that even mean? Like it was, it's got bacteria, it's got parasites. Like, what do they even mean by that? And both of those things are highly unlikely. Um, but what what does that mean? A bad batch of food? Like that's just one of those general statements that really means nothing. So you're saying my dog got sick because of a bad batch of food. Well, you know, if you're my dog and my dog was sick, I'd want to know if I could what made the dog sick. If it was something in the food, I'd want to know what in the food specifically made my dog sick so I can make sure I could avoid it. And if it was something else, I'd, I'd want to know that. And, but another, and another problem with this whole like raw food, you know, raw food is always the villain is the vets don't go any further. Oh, eating raw food. That must be what it is. People believe them, put them on some antibiotics, send them out the door. Next, please. You know, they got this patient in and diagnosed and treated and out the door in, you know, the requisite 10 minutes, but they could really, and I've seen this too, really missing some serious underlying health issues because they're just saying it's the food and they stop there and they don't do, they don't do a proper workup. And I think it's very negligent uh, medicine. Exactly. But they're getting their quota Right. Yeah. They're, they're in the time frame and they're getting the quota and they're doing, and maybe it was the crickets. I don't know. Maybe it was the crickets that was causing the problem yeah. there. 
Well, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing um, that we've got to be looking at, you know, when they're coming for our pet's food and they're trying to say that the carbon footprint of feeding a raw or a meat-based diet, right? They don't want any kind of meat because that's expensive. So here's a better way to do it. those cow farts are killing the planet. It's the cow farts that are doing us all in. Yes, but I heard that they can capture those farts and repurpose them (laughs) for good things in the world. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, capturing farts. Um, (laughs) But but here's the, the thing. I was looking at the essential amino acids that are in uh, many of these bugs and the insect proteins tend to be low in guess what methionine and cysteine and mm. you know what methionine and cysteine are required for taurine right the taurine for the heart now they have other you know they have tryptophan in them they have lysine uh they have uh, a bunch of other stuff but they don't specifically have uh this methionine and cysteine so i guess you know we can help the planet but god help your dog's heart okay i'm just saying right right right. and and this whole like carbon footprint thing have to be very careful about what where that where their information is coming from because yeah i mean i i don't think anybody would it would, you know, disagree that factory farming is not good for animals. It's not good for the environment, but responsibly raised animals are not only not harmful to the environment, but they're good for the environment because it helps promote healthy soils. And, you know, when you have a fully integrated uh, ecosystem, including animals, you have a very healthy, matter of fact, you can't have a healthy ecosystem with without animals. The reasons that we had such great, um, you know, they hear these stories and it's, it's hard for me to imagine because I've never seen it, but like the, the prairies before humans took over and mowed everything down and created a dust bowl, the prairie grasses were like 10 and 12 feet high. Like kids would get lost just in the grass. Well, why was it? Because there was tens of thousands of buffalo out there and they're, they churn up the soil and they poo and peep pee and poop, pee and poop. And then they, and then they move on and that's how you create, you know, a, a healthy soil. I mean, did some of them get, you know, killed for food for the Indians? Sure. It didn't wipe out the population or anything though. It, and it, and it kept them on the move. That's the thing. Predators keep the herbivores moving, you know, just like they found when they reintroduced wolves into uh, Yellowstone. It actually improved the ecosystems because there was a predator keeping the herbivores on the move. And the whole, like there was plant species and animal species that had gone away because their herbivores have been able to take over and the wolves came back and kept them, you know, the deer couldn't stand on a, on a, you know, riverbank and eat all the willows down. They were worried about the wolves. So they would eat and keep moving and the whole ecosystem um, got healthier. So when you hear this stuff about the carbon footprint, you have to look at, you know, the whole picture. You know, a lot of people become vegetarians and vegans because, you know, they say, well, it's, you know, animals are, you know, part of our, you know, the problem in our environment. So we need to, you know, eliminate them. And if there's fewer car fart, cow farts, then our environment's going to be healthier. But then you're left with, you know, acres and acres and acres. And it goes along with this. There's there's a lot of people promoting plant-based diets and vegan diets for pets too. And, but you're growing these products. So your, uh, your soybeans <clears throat> and your lentils and your garbanzo beans and all these plant products are grown by monoculture. You're destroying the soil. You're destroying wildlife habitat. You're using some sort of fertilizer. There's a dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico from all the fertilizers being dumped in there. So, you know, before you get on the bandwagon, well, we need we can't eat meat because it's ruining the environment. The monoculture um, uh, crop growing also does ha, has a huge impact. So you, you have to, you have to look at the whole story. You can't just latch on to, you know, one idea is the truth. Come on, you are ruining it. You're running it. We just <laughs> need, we there. just need a quick answer and that's it. All right. 
Yeah, hey, can't think for ourselves or, you know. Right. Right. That stuff. All right. So we're going on to our questions, two questions that we have for you today. Um, what is the disadvantage or advantage of canned sardines over frozen whole sardines? What say you, Dr. JC? Hmm. Well, I mean, I always say the fresher, the better, um, unless like catch the dog yourself, does... <laughs> catch him, yeah. catch him well, right there. Yeah. Now that's not an option. Buying whole frozen, you know, would, would definitely be better. You're getting more, first of all, you get more of the, you know, you're getting the body parts. Like, what do we talk about? The importance of like, eating a, a whole fish is a balanced meal, really. Cause you got the, you got the organs, you got the bones, you got the eyes and, you know, the skin and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's a really, um, it's, it's really nutritious because of all of those extra body parts. Now they, I would say the canned sardines, like I have people that just say, my dog just won't eat those whole frozen sardines. And I'll, you know, I'll make suggestions, cut them into smaller pieces or things like that. If they just won't do it, I'll say, well, then try the canned. And sometimes they'll eat those, but canned is actually cooked because canning requires heat. And so, you know, it's, it's actually cooked. I still would favor canned sardines over, you know, some fish oils, um, cause you have to be really careful with the oils cause they're not always really stable. So I like to stay whole food as much as possible. And, you know, uh, honestly, sometimes I'm not sure if it's the pet that can't get on board with the raw sardines <laughs> or if it's the people because they don't like the little eyes looking at them. I, you know, sometimes that's, there's some anthropomorphizing going on there, but, you know, I try to make sure that I'm getting the pet as you know, healthy of a diet as possible, but yeah, I would definitely go with the whole, whole fish, um, as much as possible. So here's a little tip. I had a customer call me yesterday, uh, just to give me an update, which I love. I love this mm -hmm. when somebody, you know, emails in, asks us a question and then they give me an update. So they were feeding whole fish. However, the dog was regurgitating. Mm. Um, I said, all right, here's what I want you to try. I want you to try cutting those tails off, cut the tails off of the fish. Mm -hmm. And she called me back yesterday and she said, I just wanted to let you know that worked. I cut the tails off the fish, fed it to, to my dog and bada bing, bada boom. The tail, <clears throat> the tails were tickling the dog's stomach oh, and making it tickle, throw tickle. Could be, could be, <laughs> could be a little tickle. And I will say that for Asta, I do cut the tails off my mm -hmm. oldest German now. And actually, because, um, you know, her teeth aren't as great as they used to be, I cut them up. So I don't know if the video of me cutting the head off the sardine would offend some people, but I do have to cut the head off. Just cut it right off. And she'll eat the head. She loves the head with the eyes and all that stuff. But I have to cut it right at the mm -hmm. neck <laughs> if they have a neck. So she just gets smaller pieces. She yeah. gets smaller pieces. Yeah. But, but I did notice that she would not eat the tails. So if you guys are having trouble with a uh, whole fish, um, look at them. So um, the mackerel or was it herring? There are some fish out there that tend to have a sharper uh, fin underneath. And so sometimes those will bug the dogs as well. So feel free to cut those off, right? Just cut them off and then give them to your dog. And I think you'd be in good shape. Um, all right. So here's our next question, Dr. Jasek. This email says calling on the raw squad. A friend of mine has a corgi with diabetes and he was just venting his frustrations on his podcast because now his dog has immature cataracts from his diabetes. I'm sure he's kibble fed. Now we don't know that. Okay. Uh, she said, I'm sure he's kibble fed and I don't know too much about him, but hearing his story made my heart go out to this poor dog and the uneducated pet parents. I did mention our podcast to him. Um, she said, I'm not sure he'll engage, but I would like to help any way I can. Please let me know if there's any advice you can give me or ask Dr. Jasek about this dog's condition. Uh, that's from Kyle or Kylie. Um, okay, so 
this dog, all we know, Dr. Jasek, is a corgi with diabetes. We don't know age. We don't know anything. But let's talk a little bit about diabetes. What would you do? First and foremost, dogs got diabetes. Well, well, my first thought, even though they mentioned the cataracts, if a dog is being treated for diabetes and getting cataracts, the diabetes is not being well managed. It's not being regulated, you know, because if you have a diabetic and it's being managed well, it's, they shouldn't be progressing to get the, get the cataracts. And, you know, it's tricky, can be tricky to manage these, but, you know, as we always talk about diet is huge. And if this dog is going to conventional vet, chances are they are on some prescription diet for diabetes. I don't even know what those are anymore, but I can guarantee you that it's probably very high in carbohydrates. What do carbohydrates do? They spike the blood sugar and it makes it very hard to, um, to regulate a diabetic when they're on a diet that's causing the blood sugar to spike up and down. Cause you're, you're trying to, you're trying to mimic that body's ability to naturally, um, regulate the, the blood sugar, um, which is through insulin, which comes from the, the pancreas. The, the other thing I would look at in this dog is its vaccine schedule, because if it's going to conventional vet, they're probably keeping up on the vaccines every single year. I actually think like the, the type of diabetes that dogs get most often is, is type one where the pancreas just isn't making enough insulin. And I think that's most likely autoimmune, which probably is coming from a vaccine. So we need to stop vaccinating the dog. Can't undo what's been done, but let's stop vaccinating it and get it on a diet that's going to naturally stabilize the blood sugar, which a raw meat-based diet does exactly that. And I've done this many times, taken, I've seen patients come in, have diabetes, they're not very well regulated, meaning they're still getting like big glucose spikes. Like we're not, we're not getting the blood glucose in an acceptable range consistently. And I switch them to a raw diet. I'll tell you, I have to be very, very careful because their insulin needs, like whatever dose of their insulin they're on will usually decrease. And we have to be really careful because um, if we're not careful enough to make sure we're dropping off the insulin, we can lower their blood sugar too much because they end up being on too much insulin very quickly. I've seen this very dramatically um, in in cats. I've actually seen cats come off of insulin completely um, just by switching them to, to a raw diet because cats are obligate carnivores. So um, definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's all the same things that we recommend, you know, don't be over vaccinating, watch whatever other chemicals you're putting in the pet's body, as far as, you know, heartworm, flea and tick, um, you know, what other supplements, you know, is it an itchy dog? And it's also on Apoquil, you know, we've got to, you know, stop poisoning the body with all these chemicals so that the body can focus on, you know, the, the matter at hand, but for a diabetic, I mean, diet, I mean, it's important for all pets, but that can just really be the key to your success in managing it and preventing these secondary side effects. Like, like the cataracts. So those cataracts are coming from the, is it coming from the insulin or is it coming from where, where do you, where is that cataract coming from? It's, it's coming from like the persistently high glucose. And I don't know the exact mechanism, but that's what seems to damage the lens is that the, you know, it's just an abnormally, if the glucose in the body is three or four times what it should be normally, it, it damages the tissues. And that's one of the places it shows up is in, in the lenses and in, of the eye. And it'll show up in other organs, you know, eventually as well, because it's, you know, it's, it's abnormal. They're not meant to have, and it creates this like osmotic gradient. It's like why diabetics, you know, drink a lot and pee a lot. It's like the body is trying to dilute out, literally dilute out that that high concentration of glucose in the blood. Um, and the other, the other thing that's going on when there's 
when there's no insulin. So the, so the glucose is really high, which is not healthy for the tissues, but the insulin, it, it drives the glucose into the cells and gives the cells energy. So it's like, like the cells, cells are starving for energy because there's not enough insulin to drive the glucose into the cells to give the cells energy. But one of the, you know, the other cool thing about a raw diet where you, you get rid of all the, you know, high glycemic carbs, which I recommend anyway, um, it not only stabilizes the blood sugar naturally will keep the blood sugar lower, but then you can, you can get the pet in more of a, a ketogenic state by adding a little extra fat. And then you're training the cells in the body to burn fat instead of glucose. And then they can be healthier because they can, they can get the energy they need from the fat. But if the body's like just so messed up because it's trying to figure out what to do with the super high glucose, um, it, you're never going to have healthy cells unless you get that, um, get that stabilized. So it's, it's the high glucose and the, you know, the consequences of that in the body. And it's, and it's sad. I mean, I, I've seen dogs, they, they can get cataracts and go blind fast. Like, I mean, within weeks or a couple of months, sometimes it can, if, if the process is just not being well-regulated, um, it, it can happen really fast. And it's, and it's really sad, especially if it's a younger dog and they're all of a sudden blind and that's, um, it's really hard on them. I and mean, it's a lot different than an old dog kind of slowly losing their eyesight because they're not doing that much anyway. And they can kind of find their way around. They're not really, you know, very active when a young dog suddenly goes blind. It's, it's really tragic. Mm. You know, you talked about, um, getting their dog on a meat-based diet and there's, um, a lot of people will take chromium, right. To help stabilize their blood sugar level. Um, a lot of humans. And I was looking at where do we find chromium in the raw diet? Well, beef, animal-based proteins, animal-based proteins are a good source of chromium as well. Um, so beef has a higher level than uh, turkey and chicken, but they, though, they all still have a level of chromium in them. And, um, you know, chromium is just a trace mineral that helps to regulate the blood sugar. Um, and it helps to break down the carbs and the fats. Well, there's not a whole lot of carbs in raw diets, <laughs> right? Right. So you don't have to, the body doesn't have to work as hard, but some other places that chromium are found in real food, as you were talking about, Dr. Jasek, real food, free range eggs, free range eggs. There's also some in broccoli and green beans, um, apples and sweet potatoes. So one time I was talking to Tess who works for you mm -hmm. and, uh, back when she, before she was working for you and she was working for someone else. And so I would send over some, um, some issues to her. And I remember her telling me that sweet potatoes can help regulate the blood sugar levels in small amounts, in mm -hmm. small amounts. And I think where people go wrong with the sweet potatoes um, is that they, they give a bunch of it. But right. uh, in this, in this uh, article, it was talking about that this is another place that chromium is found. In did, did, you happen to, did you happen to look up the chromium um, levels in insects? You know, I'm going to, but I look up here and I don't see that they've listed out mm. the uh, trace minerals, but I'm sure that we, we, uh, will get those, <laughs> right? It's just, like, yeah, just, just, just curious because maybe they'll be touting those as, you know, the next cure for, for, for diabetes. You know, people <laughs> won't be throwing the crickets and stuff out anymore, Dr. JC. They'll just be picking them up on the floor and eating them. Okay. Just a little, you remember how, mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, were you ever in a, a state where you had June bugs? Do you know what June bugs are? Oh yeah. 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 Back in the Midwest. Sure. Yeah. Cause I'm from Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. So June bugs, well, we used to call it de-pooping the June bugs where you would like smash them and come out. The, it was really, you know, like it's very you cruel. Your but, kids, did you have fireflies where you live? We too? did. Yeah, we did. Wasn't it? that was cool. Like they just light up like whole fields would just be lit up with the fireflies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So anyway, I just, I uh, I know I was at a, 
an indoor farmer's market, oh gosh, probably four years ago here in Colorado. And um, they were doing all of this in insect food uh, at the time. And I didn't try it, but the, 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 this is coming on and this is starting. Uh, but again, so are the vegan things. And I, I really do want to see what the vegan foods for dogs, what these dogs are going to look like and the problems that they may may or may not incur. Maybe we're wrong, but I'd like to see it. I just don't get it. If God created them to be carnivores, uh, we change that and they're healthy. Right. right. And, and I think, you know, I, I always ask the question, what's behind people promoting plant-based diets for dogs? Is it because that's their belief? I mean, I, what I see is that that's the human belief that we shouldn't be eating animals. And so they impose that also on their pets. But here's the thing, everything, something dies for everything to eat. I mean, you know, you, you can say, well, I don't, I don't think, you know, we should be killing animals and eating them. Well, how much life are you destroying when you plow a field? You know, you're destroying earthworms and insects and, and, you know, the, the fungi and all of that stuff. There's so much life in healthy soil. And again, when we do this monocropping type of agriculture, you're destroying all that. So don't earthworms have value? They have less value than a cow. Why? I, if I, if I say, I believe plants have consciousness, which there's a lot of evidence that they do, then why is a plant's life more valuable than animal life? You know, I mean, I think these ideas get going and and I, you know, I just would like to, you know, sometimes challenge people on where they're getting these ideas from and how sound really are they. They're coming from Dr. Google, don't you know? <laughs> Dr. G, Dr. Google, the be all, the end all, right? We're going to put them right up there. Dr. F, F and G, freaking Fauci and Google. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> One in the same, one in the oh, same for sure. It is, it is, it is really insane. But, but I have to say, Dr. Jasek, that I am very disturbed by what I've seen over the last two years, all the information that's coming out, all of the things that, as Neely would say, are backwards. Everything is mm -hmm. backwards, right? And nobody... Nobody wants to question what's really going on in the dog or the pet world. They just, it's like, it's like it's in its own little bubble. Like everything's fine over here. Is it, is it really fine when we see these cancer rates, when we see these tumors, when we see um, heart issues, when we see the stuff, is it really okay? Because isn't it all the same industry? And for some reason we have separated that industry out of mm -hmm. uh, the rest of it. And, and it really does concern me because again, I'll say it again. I'm going to repeat myself. We do not question just like if your vet says, yeah, it's the raw dog food. You just go, okay. Yep. You're right. You know, I noticed that I did feed my dog last night and this morning and they are sick. Um, okay. Again, uh, what does that mean? You know, how, why is it the food? What, what, what bacteria? Uh, did we link that in the fecal, the blood work, the urinalysis? I mean, what might you see, Dr. Jasek, in the blood work or urinalysis if a dog was getting sick from said food? Raw food, what? real food. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, if the dog were getting sick from the food, and, and you know, there's a difference too between the, you know, the food being bad. And maybe there's a blend that just doesn't agree with the, you know, certain individual. You right. know, I just tell people, if you find that you feed a certain protein and your dog's stools are a little off, well, especially if the dog's still kind of adapting to the raw, then I always say, you know, feed the proteins, tend to agree with it the best, and then circle back to those other proteins. Because the digestion is 
going to get stronger. So is what we're seeing a true, like, you know, disease or is there, is there a pathogen? So if you say the food is bad, my mind, I think somebody's assuming there's some sort of pathogenic organism in there, right? There's a bacteria that's causing disease or a parasite that's causing disease, but there could be lots of reasons. It could be a detox reaction from something else that your dog ate and now the dog is detoxing that has nothing to do with the food. So we have to be really careful about, you know, assigning cause and effect. But if there were some pathogenic organism, number one, you should be able to find it. I mean, it it would be being excreted probably in the stool. So doing a fecal culture, this is not, and so, and so, you know, people, I think, don't always understand the differences in different testing. Your typical fecal exam is looking for parasite eggs. That's completely different than culturing where you take some of the poop and you put on a culture medium and then you see what bacteria grows out of that. So it's a very different, very specific test to look for certain bacteria. And then, and then you, you know, would have to determine, okay, could that bacteria be, you know, causing disease? In which case you probably would see certain changes in the blood work, such as the white blood cell count. Whenever the body's fighting an infection, we tend to see white blood cell counts go up. Um, you know, so you would see things that would indicate some sort of infectious process. There's also certain white blood cells, specifically eosinophils, basophils, for anyone that wants to know the specifics, um, that go up when there's parasites or an allergic reaction, a true allergic reaction. You'll see, especially eosinophils go up whenever there's an allergic reaction. So you can definitely get clues um, on the blood work. Um, parasites, I mean, I think the whole idea of a dog getting parasite from a raw blend is that's like so unlikely because there's so much of a species difference. Parasites tend to be very species specific. They have a definitive host. So dogs get certain parasites. There could be, a, there's a little crossover between dogs and cats, but not between dogs and cows and dogs and chickens. They just don't get the same parasite. So if say dog does eat something from a cow that has a parasite, those parasites are just going to pass right through because the dog is not a definitive host. So this whole thing, like, because people ask me that, well, don't you know, raw food have all kinds of parasites and stuff in it? Like, I don't know, really probably doesn't. And yeah, probably has a lot of bacteria, but most of them are going to be uh, beneficial bacteria. So if, if a vet is saying, oh yeah, it's the raw food that made your dog sick and is not doing any testing, then they have absolutely no basis for that statement. Yeah. See, these are the, the these are the brilliant pieces, nuggets that we give out right here on the Raw Dog Feed Truth, <laughs> right? Because that 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 um, uh, that will make a vet's head spin, right? If you ask yeah. these questions and you say, "Well, okay, maybe you know," unless you want it to be the food. If you want it to be the food, then you're just going to walk out. Yep, it was a food. I'm calling Didi. It's the food. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the truth, you know, the truth oftentimes is inconvenient because you just want a quick answer and a quick treatment and you go on with your day and you know, your pet's okay. But, you know, say, oh, well, you know, it's not the foods and then there might be something else going on. Then I got to, you know, figure out what, what that might be. Um, and, and that's, they don't want to learn about a whole other way of feeding or all this other food. It's just so easy to just recommend the prescription, get out your little Hills handbook and and, um, you know, that tells you which prescription diet to feed for whatever you just look up, you know, diabetes, for example, say, which, okay, this is the prescription diet done. You don't have to think about it. Um, that that's what, um, I think busy veterinarians in a corporate practice, they want to do they, because they have 10 minutes to figure this out. So they can send people out the door with a bottle of pills and a bag of food. And they feel like they've, uh, they've done their job. Um, if you really want to want to learn the truth, you might have to, to change the way you think, and you might have to change, change the way you practice. And you might have to face the fact that 
wow, I, I wasn't doing such a good job before, but you learn and you do better. I mean, I, I've, I've never said, you know, beat myself up for learning something new that helps my patients. I'm like, isn't this great? I now have something new to, you know, you know, introduce to my patients. And, you know, this is, I think, better than what I've been doing before. And like, to me, that's great. That's what medicine should be is a positive progression as we learn, not just getting stuck in these paradigms that just, just don't even work. Well, let me ask you a question back to the fecal, the blood work and the urinalysis. Does this make sense if they say, no, all of those came back perfect. So it must be the food. Yeah, no, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> because again, what is it in the food that's caught? Why, if they're saying it's quote unquote bad food, to me that, that what's bad in the food? Like, what are they saying is bad? The only thing really that could be in food that could be making a pet sick, it would, it would have to be some sort of pathogenic organism or poison, you know, somebody, put, you know, literally put, poison in a food, which I think would be, you know, unlikely, but then again, you're going to see changes in the, in the laboratory values. If, if you're actually doing the testing, I, I think a lot of these pets don't even get tested. There's like, it's the raw food. They put them on antibiotics and send them home. Oh gosh. Oh, that's awful. That's terrible. I mean, you know, when yeah. I think, when I, when I really view it this way, Hey, we're going to kill your good soldiers. Good luck. I mean, that bothers me yeah. so bad. Yeah. It, it bothers me on the human side. You know, it's like, um, and you and I've been, you know, looking at Thomas Cowan's work and, and, and several others. And it's like, okay, the pus is there to do the work. Um, the, you know, bacteria is there to eat up things, you know, or the germs and stuff like that. And it's just like, everything is so backwards. And we're like, killing the good soldiers and, 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 and killing all of them, but then you don't have any good ones to fight the bad ones. When they arrive, they're like all dead. Right. I'm just right. like, and I think that, uh, and we'll talk about this in a later podcast, but I think that a lot of people are under the impression that we can build um, that back and, and we cannot, we cannot, Hey, I want to, I want to give this one other little tidbit and then I'll let you go talking about microbiomes, because I was listening to, to Dr. Paul Merrick today, M-A-R-I-K, I believe is how you say his name. And he was saying that here's something that they found out about ivermectin, you know, the horse paste. Um, and he was talking about, obviously, the great things about ivermectin. But he was saying one of the things that they found out is that the, the COVID, whatever that is, right, the thing, it was really, and, and, and certainly the injections were really, really screwing up people's um, microbiomes. The microbiome was totally off, right? Just totally off. And they were saying that one thing that they found out about ivermectin and that it helps rebalance hmm. the microbiome. I'll get you that talk yeah, so you can hear it. But I thought that was very interesting. And he said, mm -hmm. it's one of the safest drugs out there and that it was only two cents a pill. So this is why that it was, you know, not used, right? Two cents mm -hmm. a pill. There, nobody, nobody could make money on it. And um, so anyway, I thought that was very interesting that it rebalances yeah. the microbiome. That, that is interesting because that's always been one of my hesitations. You know, some of these antiparasitics and they talk about ivermectin, you know, helping with these different conditions and, you know, fenbendazole has gotten a yeah. lot of press for cancer. And I always in the back of my mind, you know, question, but are we wiping out the microbiome? So if people are starting to look at that, that that's going to be really interesting information because that's been one of my hesitancies is especially to like, just put, put a pet on fenbendazole long-term because if it's killing parasites, I, just fundamentally think it would be affecting the uh, the gut bacteria. But to my knowledge, I don't know anybody's looking at that, but maybe they are now. Um, and people are asking that question because there is a lot of, you know, a lot of people are aware of the benefits of having a healthy microbiome. And so maybe people are starting to ask that question. So they're, 
um, so they're starting to look into it because there's certainly a lot of really great evidence about the benefits of these, you know, these anti-parasitic drugs, you know? Yeah. Um, so that would be really that I, I'd be really interested. And I, and I hope they, they look into this more because if it turns out that these drugs are not adversely affecting the, uh, the microbiome and have lots of other benefits, uh, that'd be pretty darn cool. Yeah, that would be cool. I don't know that they want that out there though, Dr. Jersey, because that will change the landscape and uh, what the protocol should be for cancer, right? So I look at people that I know that are going through chemo, right? And they're killing their white blood cells. You've got to have those white blood cells, right? For, to fight cancer. And then I look at the people that uh, go the holistic route, like what you do with dogs, and they are coming back from these a test after test after test showing no cancer markers, right? They're, they're supposedly totally clean when they've gone through the ozone therapy, the mistletoe, the, um, the, you know, the different high levels of vitamins and things like that. Um, and I've seen my friends come back with, with great results versus the ones that went the traditional route and either they've already passed or they're in mm-hmm. not so, not, 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 not good shape. Yeah. And um, even one of them that I was talking to uh, the doctor, th- this is on the human side, the doctor uh, and they're going through chemo and they're losing weight. Obviously the doctor said, just go eat um, shakes and potatoes and all of these high sugary things. So you can I know. On. And I'm just like, yes. wait, wait a minute. We have cancer here. What are we doing? I know it's awful. They have no. The doctors have no knowledge of new. Nut- let's say nutrition doesn't even matter. They just say, oh, it doesn't even matter. Not not even you know in, in, important. Just eat what you want. Yeah, eat the highest calorie stuff you can get. What it is doesn't matter. Just to you know try to try to keep your weight up. Yeah, it's really. I mean, you know, I I you know, I'm not a proponent of chemotherapy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever do it on myself. And I'm not a proponent of it in pets because I have not seen good long-term results, but you want to talk about something that wipes out the microbiome. I mean, why do you think, you know, the pets get diarrhea? I mean, one of the most common side effects when pets are getting chemo is they get diarrhea and they quit eating. So, you know, it has profound effects on the gut. And anytime there's diarrhea, your, your microbiome is going to be out of balance so I know that that is really, really, really messing with their guts. And, and um, you know, I, I think to me, I, both pets and people, even if they come out of the chemo and appear to be doing okay, they, they're never quite the same. Like, you know, I have friends that have gone through chemo. It's like, they're just, you know, constantly sick, constantly just dealing with, with, you know, health issues and they're just super sensitive. I, I think it changes the body forever. I, I, and like you were saying, I don't think you completely come back from that level of poisoning your body. You might have survived the cancer, but you're going to be living with other stuff for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And if you wipe out your white blood cells, you keep killing those and they can give you shots to supposedly, you know, pump those back up again. But I'm just like, so something is is really uh, profoundly wrong in this mm-hmm. in 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 this approach, and yet we see a totally different approach that works. And um, but again, th- this podcast is created so that we can throw out ideas that that may uh, bug you, that may infuriate you, but at least it gets you to move in one way or the other, right? And, and get you and get you to think, you know, I just start reading, started reading a book um, from Dr. Um, Latipo. He's the new yes. surgeon general in Florida. And um, I, I have a lot of respect for this guy. I just have a lot of respect. And this, this book goes into, you know, his whole life story and everything. And, and uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wrote the forward. And one of the things he said in there was that we have lost the debate science uh, integral to good science should be the ability to debate that's how we learn and that's how we truly learn things that are valid is through 
good old fashioned debate. You got an idea, somebody else has a different idea. Let's talk about it. Where did you get your information? Nothing. I mean, they talk about, they throw this word evidence-based. Nothing's evidence-based anymore. It's all propaganda-based and it's all based on making some big corporation a bunch of money. That is what the quote unquote science is these days. And speak out against the agenda well, you know, you're going to lose your medical license or you're going to go to jail. You know, don't speak out against the agenda that's making more, you know, creating more billionaires and making billionaires more billions. You know, don't speak out against that narrative. But true, inherent to true science has to be debate. And, 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 and Kennedy says that this so well in the, in the forward to this book. And I think that is just spot on. We have lost the you know, um, ability to debate or debate is just no longer acceptable. You're either right or wrong. You don't agree with me. I'm right. You're wrong. You're done. I don't want to hear about it. It's like when people come to you, uh, that told me the food was bad and you ask questions. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to learn anything new. They don't want to open their minds to anything new. They have their answer. That's the answer they're sticking to. And anything that is counter to that is, is wrong. And we have to bring back that ability to discuss and debate and, and compare notes and, and all that. And that's, that's gone. That's been just completely squashed in medicine and science. It's pretty sad. Yeah. But you will see the people who are uh, willing to debate are the ones that are trying to get the truth out there. Also the ones who are, are still being punished, censored, FBI showing up at your door, all those type of things. So um, we just have to grow some warriors, right? Yeah. A, and warriors for debate, uh, big balls of, 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 of bison balls, big bison balls is what we need in order to debate. Debate never killed anyone. Well, this year did, you know, killed yeah. off some of the, the people that wanted to debate, but they're coming back. I mean, if you look like um, Dr. Um, oh gosh, just went right out of my head. He, he, uh, McCullough, Dr. Mm -hmm. McCullough, you know, they, they totally took down his entire website and now he's out there speaking and now he's out there. I see him a lot more. He's come back mm -hmm. and, um, he didn't shrink back because it's like us. We feed our dogs, these foods, we love our pets. So we're not telling all of our listeners and all of our, your patients and all of my customers, hey, go feed this raw food and secretly not feeding it ourselves, you know, and that is happening out there in the medical field, right? They know some things are, are causing problems, so they're not doing it themselves. That's not what we do. We, right. we have a calling. We have a desire to help uh, in love. And sometimes um, that causes problems but yeah. well that's why we you know that's why we speak out about this stuff is we've seen the benefit i see the benefit i see dogs do complete 180s all the time cats too um you switch them to a raw diet and you know people come back my gosh their coats are better and they have more energy and they feel so much better and they're calmer and just like everything that that's the typical scenarios the and the ones that we don't get those kind of turnarounds is because their bodies have just been so screwed up by past, you know, poor diets, over-medicated, over-vaccinated. I mean, I think you can over-vaccinate a puppy to the point that they just don't ever completely normalize. We can still help them, but I, I think that can still set them up for chronic disease. And, you know, and especially if they're spayed or neutered at eight weeks of age, you know, that's it, pretty hard to have a, a complete healthy sound individual under under those circumstances we can help and diet's still super important but you might still be dealing with some with some chronic health issues right and that doesn't mean raw doesn't work right okay? exactly there's it's just like, more to the story like we were always saying you got to do got to do a little work if a dog can't just transition right onto raw and do great then then their digestion has been messed up and we've got to take a step back and work on strengthening the digestion at the same time. And to me, the, a dog that does not accept raw or cannot transition to raw, that's nothing to do with the food. It, it's a, that's a 
signal that that dog's digestion is really messed up and we really have to work on strengthening the the gut. Yeah. As Julianne Lee, I told you this before the podcast has said, raw diets typically reveal, Mm -hmm. reveal a pet's issue, whether they have digestive issues, whether they uh, have pH issues, whether they, you know, it reveals issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and that is misconstrued. I've got barking dogs, as you can hear. That is misconstrued as, oh, it's the raw diet. No, it's revealing a lot of things. And maybe in the next podcast next week, Dr. Jacek, we'll talk about that, what the raw diet reveals. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that um, terminology because it gets away from it's causing what is whatever's showing up. It's, it's causing it. Well, yeah, we made this shift and this happened, but is there something bad about the food that's, that's causing it. And yeah, I would, I would say no. I I love that, that term that it's revealing it. All right, everybody. Well, that's our podcast for today. We hope that we've given you lots of information to help you and your pets. Remember Dr. Judy Jasek and her team are available at ahavet.com. Get a second opinion. If you think it's the food, um, she will gladly walk through that process. Take a look at um, any work that you have, fecal blood work, your analysis, all of that type of thing to help you. You don't have to talk to me about it. You can talk to Dr. Judy Jasek and her team and they can walk you through it. But I do contend that it's all about the food first. So get your dog on a species appropriate diet. You can do that right here at Raw Dog Food and Company where your pet's health is our business And we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.